Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About This? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Bee Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. Welcome back season three. How exciting. I'm so happy to be back doing what I love. And it's just been such an amazing journey so far doing this podcast. It almost feels a little bit selfish because I feel like it's been so rewarding for me. And so I hope that that extends beyond me and it is rewarding those who tune in and listen. And on that note, I'm also very grateful for those who tune in and listen because that is how a podcast gains momentum. And I just love doing this. So I want to continue doing this. So thank you so much for being here. I do have big plans for season three, and I hope to be able to continue having these conversations, these really important conversations. I mean, this podcast is called, Can We Talk About This? And it's quite literally focusing on the sort of silence that comes with motherhood and that we all we're all thinking, but we don't say, or we all recognize, but we don't talk about. And so I really want to be able to open up and unpack these issues or address the silence, I guess. And, you know, alongside that reduce shame and stigma and hopefully make motherhood that little bit better and that little bit easier for you, because in today's world, it's freaking hard. So I thought I would do something a little bit different today, which is, it's just me having a chat. (laughs) And I'm sort of going to go through my findings and reflections, um, not only since starting the podcast, but since focusing heavily on the topic of childbirth in season two. Let's face it, birth has been a really strong topic since the beginning of the power of birth. And this year we even had back in May a charitable event for the Australasian Birth Trauma Association, which was an online event called Brunch for Birth Trauma. And it was just such a huge success. So many businesses, brands, people got involved and I really loved it and it was just an amazing day and if you missed out you can review the recordings of the speakers who came and totally stole the show each and every one you can look them up on thepowerbirth.net on the website under brunch for birth trauma in if you're interested Um, but I decided to dedicate a lot of my time to the topic of childbirth because So many women were sharing their birth stories with me on the blog and Instagram and things and chatting in DMs and emails. And I just started noticing some patterns and themes emerging and I started taking note and I started asking questions and I wanted answers. And knowing that women's health had such major gaps and flaws and, you know, it's underfunded, it's under-researched, it's heavily controlled and there's a ton of bias and I just thought... Let's look further into birth and see what we find. And oh my goodness, we have found, well, 
what I found has been really interesting and I sort of don't have words for it because I don't necessarily want to influence anyone, but I definitely encourage you if you've ever struggled with, you know, birth trauma or a difficult or negative birth experience, or if you're preparing for birth and you want to avoid those things that researching birth may help you figure out what questions to ask because that can be really hard particularly if it's your first time so basically I started my own little investigation about 18 months ago and I read a ton of literature on things like the history of birth the medicalization of birth birth physiology modern birth culture and practice and consequences or outcomes from that culture and practice and I mean, there's a ton of books I could recommend to you. Maybe I'll throw a couple in the show notes or something, but it really actually blew my mind at how complicated childbirth has become and the history of childbirth has most definitely shaped the way that we practice today. And I really liked this book. It was called, let me find it, Bodies That Birth, Vitalizing Birth Politics by Chadwick back in 2018. And this person says, They basically state that maternity, modern maternity practices and research limit the woman's voice in childbirth, which we know. I mean, how often do you, how often do women feel invisible in the birth room? And they go on to say, um, you know, research limits the woman's voice in childbirth due to the institutionalized and systemic patriarchal sociocultural norms and politics in childbirth that embodies inequalities. We know that patriarchal culture, expectations of women, you know, like this good girl syndrome, things like that, and then also throw in politics of childbirth. So you've got money and status and prestige and um, hospital policies and and weird hospital dynamics. And they're like, there's so much going on in a hospital that all of these things the woman will eventually feel whether or not she realizes it. And what I love about Dr. Rachel Reed, who I had the privilege of interviewing, she also declares that modern birth culture fails women as it is, as it is underpinned by a biomedical paradigm that focuses so much on the baby, it has lost sight of the mother. End quote. I love Dr. Rachel Reed because she just calls it how it is. And not only has she been a midwife for decades, but she's also gone into the field of research to try and make birth better. And that's what I love about her. So, you know, I've read all these books. I I have all this knowledge now, I guess. And and so what now? And I think reclaiming midwifery and childbirth, like Dr. Rachel Reed says, is a really great start. But I don't actually believe as individual women who are birthing that it's necessarily our responsibility to make these big changes. We can make these changes for ourselves as as individuals, but to get change on a systemic level, we really need it to come from the top down. And so giving that responsibility to 
our birth workers, our midwives, our obstetricians, our hospitals, our government, our culture, we really need to start seeing some changes. And if research and practice actually crossed over a lot more, maybe we would have a better time. But, you know, we know that it takes roughly 15 years for research to filter into practice. And so, you know, change is hard and change takes a really long time. So I would love if women could reclaim their birth experience for themselves and birth their way. I really loved talking to Catherine Bell in the birth mapping episode. Oh, if you haven't listened to that episode, go and listen to it. She was just amazing. And she's everything she said, I'm like madly nodding my head because I was just like, yes, finally, like somebody's saying this because what I was finding in having lots of different conversations with people is that even birth workers themselves were projecting these biases on how to birth to other women. And that just blew my mind because I just would think, but it's not your birth. And if that's what she wants, allow her to have it. You know, a woman could be informed about the risks of an epidural and she still want the epidural. We shouldn't be judging her for that. It's just really bizarre. (laughs) And, you know, you flip that and you could, a woman wants to birth at home with no help. Like, okay, you know the risks you you're you're well informed you've got your plan like so be it i just i've never understood why we push our own agendas onto other people and you know maybe it's because you feel uncomfortable about their choices but it's their choice and it's their body and it's their baby i'm just anyway i'm ranting now but i've just never understood that we just can't expect all women to birth the same way. And I think that that's really important. And, you know, we all want different things. We believe and value different things. And so birth is going to be different. I actually posted on social media one day this little statement. I will read it when I find it. Uh, because I just I just saw this divide, you know, in the birth world. And I just thought this can't. We can't continue like this if we want to be united in childbirth and we want to find some some unity as women in womanhood and sisterhood and birth practice. And I, so I wrote, not every woman is able to have a physiological birth and proclaiming otherwise is a problem. However, in modern maternity practice, physiological birth is a rarity and that is a problem. So there were two sides to birth that I was finding, right? So on one hand, you had, you know, birth educators, uh, midwives, obstetricians, even just women themselves proclaiming that, you know, birth has to be, you know, at home with no lights, drug-free, in a birth pool, surrounded by loved ones, and it'll just be that simple. I feel like when you push that sort of agenda You're not actually recognizing that complications and pathologies can arise in the human body. It's very normal for a human body to have some kind of complication or dysfunction. We don't have perfect bodies. We just simply don't. And I think if you looked at, I would like to compare that to everybody having the same pregnancies. My pregnancies were completely different to my best friend's pregnancies, just as an example. So then why would I expect us to then birth the same way? It just doesn't make sense. You look at periods, right? My periods are quite normal. However, I did suffer from premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Then I would have uh, a sister whose period just like 
comes every 28 days. She has no sign it's going to come. She has no symptoms whatsoever. She feels good the whole time. She just has this thing that she's got to now do for that five days and that's it. These are all involuntary. Like these are all things out of our control. And I think if we if we can understand the human body and that things do go wrong and, and if we look at people as individuals in that individual human body, maybe we'd get a little bit further in birth and maybe people wouldn't be so defensive about how they birth and because they won't have to be. So then on the other side, I just feel like we need to recognize that it is problematic when we push certain agendas and that agenda that assuming that everybody should birth the same way is problematic. And then you've got this other side that we also need to address and that we also need to recognize is problematic. And that is that generally in a hospital setting, physiological births are rare. This is problematic. If I can provide an example, right? So in the latest report of mother and baby's report provided by the Australian government in 2020, we can see how physiological birth is not the norm. For example... Only 50% of births were vaginal births. Our cesarean section rate is 37%. Our assisted vaginal birth rate is 26%. And our VBAC rate is only 12%. If we compare that to other countries in Europe who have really great statistics for physiological birth because of the way that they practice, for example, their VBAC rates are roughly between 50 to 60%. Just as a comparison. Now, the other thing is spontaneous onset of labor was only 40% of women. Spontaneous onset of labor, 40%. Under half. This, the rate of spontaneous labor has fallen from 56% in 2010. So we've gone from 56% 12 years ago to 40%. Induction of labor for first-time mothers, 46.8%. The overall number regardless of how many babies they've had, is 35%. These statistics are huge. And this is affecting physiological birth. And these statistics, you can't tell me that half of women can't vaginally birth or half of women can't have a physiological birth. Half the women aren't having complications because if we look at other countries and the way that they practice in birth, we can see that complications are not 50% worth of women. This is just to give you an example and just while I'm on the topic, so basically in this mother and babies report in 2020, I highlighted that we have an increase in cesarean births, induction, and the augmentation of labor, and that these rates are actually rising every year. The increase in the use of forceps, that just makes my knees weak. How are we opting for forceps over the vacuum, for example? When we look at the risk factors for forceps over a vacuum, the risk factors for forceps are really high, but that has increased. And the rates of spontaneous labor has declined, and we know that. Episiotomy rates are also rising every year since 2004. And that's even for women who did not have an instrumental delivery. Now, I think statistics are important because they tell us a story. A lot of people don't like statistics, but I do because I like to see the story and I like to see the trend in how maternity practices and its correlation to birth trauma and its correlation to negative birth experiences. And we can use these statistics to sort of further investigate what we're doing wrong and how we can be better. And 
and I use these statistics and compare them to European studies and research and practice because they have much better outcomes. And so what I'm saying is you can't tell me that Australian women, because this study was, uh, sorry, this report is based on Australian women. You can't tell me that Australian women can't birth the way that European women birth. Like that, that's simply a really weak argument. So what I'm saying is here is that physiology is not supported in a hospital setting, so to speak. And so this is what's problematic. And so we need to be looking at how we practice in birth to be able to offer women physiological support. I'm not a midwife. I'm not an obstetrician. I don't have a medical degree. These are all simply my reflections and my understanding and, and, and my viewpoint. So, you know, take it as it is. This isn't, this isn't gospel, you know, but I just think that in order for us to to get better at the way that we not only talk about birth and socialize ourselves and the people around us with birth, but also birth practice is that both of these things can exist at the same time, right? We can have complications and then we can have physiological birth. Both of these things exist and they always will. And we need to have space for both. Ignoring one or the other is what I think divides us as women. And we really need to be coming together, unified, validated, supported and connected in making childbirth better. There's lots of stigma around childbirth. It's really interesting. Uh, So for those who know me well, know that I've completed my honors in psychology this year. As I mentioned earlier, I'm currently waiting for a spot in a master's program or to be offered to me at least so I can continue studying to be a psychologist. And so what you do as part of a, a psychology honors is that you conduct your own research alongside a research supervisor. And I tell you, this year has been quite the year of learning. And so I thought it would be a good idea to share my work on here and take it for what it is. I was a student researcher. It's not yet published, hoping to be published. So this is just um, a little bit of the work that I did. And I think it has some really interesting findings. What's interesting though, (laughs) is that before I get into it, I had a lot of trouble trying to actually do a research study on birth trauma because I was bound by an an ethics review board that were constantly slamming the door in my face. So I really had to sort of alter things in order for them to be okay with it. Um, but then I also, I had, I think I just sometimes forget because I'm so engulfed in this world of motherhood, birth, postpartum, all of those things that I forget in the real world, people aren't actually having these conversations and people don't actually know or understand. And so when I presented my research at the end of this year to my cohort and, and some, I could not, I, it was really interesting. The questions I was getting and I was, and I was, I had a lot of positive feedback and people really agreeing that, you know, this is an issue that we need to be talking about and et cetera. But they had a lot of interest in like, well, who the heck are you? Like, how did you come up with this? Like, this is really impressive. And, um, which was obviously really nice, but at the same time I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Like you're not having these conversations every day. (laughs) So it's just funny when you're passionate about something, it's really great because, people 
I guess passion can be really infectious. And so people could see that and they could see the, the issue and how we need to address this issue. And, you know, we need to be talking about birth trauma and we need to be doing better by women in birth. And so I was really grateful for that feedback. Okay, that's enough talking. I will get into it. Basically, my research was on subjective birth trauma. So we can have clinical birth trauma, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, a diagnosed disorder um, with certain criteria that you have to meet in order to be diagnosed with PTSD. But then also, I wanted to recognize these women that we know one in three describe their birth as traumatic. So this one in three aren't necessarily researched. We don't know a lot about the impact of subjective birth trauma. And so I wanted to look at that. So one in three women describe their birth as traumatic. That's the current stats that we have. One in 10 or roughly six to 13% of women go on to develop PTSD and 20% of women sustain a childbirth injury. So prior studies have looked at this clinical definition of birth trauma and traumatic events and they looked at things like obstetric emergencies like c-sections premature births instrumental vaginal deliveries infant death things like that that you know you had to have sort of a, a predictable or identifiable risk factor relating to your trauma that was traditionally how we looked at birth trauma um, but what i've loved recently in the last decade maybe two decades is that studies have started emerging that sort of redefine birth trauma as they extract themes of trauma from women's own perceptions of birth and found things like care provider agendas and interactions, lack of support, birth-related anxiety, unwanted and unnecessary medical interventions, lack of, lack of consent, control, respect, bodily autonomy, physical birth injuries, obstetric violence, fear-mongering. They were all contributing factors to not only PTSD, but this subclinical level of trauma, this subjective birth trauma. And so what we found was that, well, not we, but these people found that they basically suggested that subjective birth trauma may occur with or without previously identified predictable risk factors, which, I mean, the pandemic really highlighted for us because we know that birth trauma did increase during the lockdowns and things and restrictions placed on hospitals and policies placed on women in labor, like, you know, things like mandatory mask wearing, birthing without your support people, certain people having, having to be vaccinated or else they couldn't come in, um, you know, forcing midwives and things to be vaccinated, all of that sort of stuff. But then also um, like forced rat tests upon entry, like it just got a bit much, I think, during the pandemic and that impacted the well-being of mothers and their birth experience. So we know that PTSD exists following childbirth, but we also know that there is this large group of women who describe their birth as traumatic that also has maternal consequences, but research hasn't necessarily addressed or looked at these women. They actually sort of neglect to research these women and it, the focus remains on PTSD. Now, I think it's important to mention here that post-traumatic stress disorder following childbirth is only relatively newly recognized. And so that there definitely is a need to continue researching PTSD following childbirth. But my 
the sort of gap I was trying to address was that we're neglecting these women who have subclinical birth trauma and what does that mean for birth moving forward, particularly for these women, but also is there anything that can help? And so I looked at birth debriefing because research showed that birth debriefing was not actually effective for those suffering from PTSD or even postnatal depression following childbirth. But what they did find was that a lot of women wanted to talk about their birth. What's interesting with PTSD is that one of the criteria for PTSD is avoidance. So a lot of these women didn't actually want to revisit their their birth until they were ready. And we, um, back in early 2000s and the 90s, we actually were doing routine birth debriefing because we thought that that was helping women. But for those who who had PTSD, it wasn't actually helping them. So they got, it was recommended that we get rid of routine debriefing. And so now we don't do debriefs at all. So my questions were, well, okay, if birth trauma is supposed to be subjective, why are we only focusing on clinical levels and definitions of trauma in prevention and intervention outcomes? And then if most women who experience a a difficult birth don't go on to develop PTSD, it's, you know, this between six and 13%. But most women want to talk about their birth. Why are we not using birth debriefs as an intervention to benefit the psychological health of these women in this population? I hope I'm making sense here. My gosh. And then I also thought, well, you know, if care provider interactions and hospital policies can can negatively impact support and practice and care, are in-hospital care providers the right people to offer these birth debriefs? I don't know. These were the questions I was asking. So... I designed a study and 274 was my final sample size. So I had mothers who were over 18, had given birth in Australia between 2018 and June 2021. And one of the ethical considerations I had to have on my study was I had to exclude women who had a current mental health diagnosis or were receiving psychological treatment. And so, you know, if you ticked yes in that box when you did the survey, the survey would just shut down and you couldn't move forward. So I had to eliminate those women unfortunately um you know my study asked questions like would you describe your birth as traumatic i had scientific scales like the childbirth experience questionnaire perceptions uh, perceptions of birth self-compassion and then a well-being scale i asked just regular demographic questions like age and location and things like that and i also asked about pregnancy and birth demographics and their debriefing experience if they had it So what did I find? Well, I'm so glad you asked. What I actually found was 33.9% of the women in this study described their birth as traumatic. And that trauma rates peaked in 2020 with over 40%, well over 40% of women reporting trauma. And it comes down a little bit in 2021, but it's still actually quite high. It's still above 30%. Of those women who reported trauma in this study, 16% had a vaginal birth. I think that's interesting because we assume that if you have like this natural vaginal birth, that it's not traumatic. But yet 16% of these women were saying that actually, yeah, it was traumatic. Of those who reported trauma, 62% reported trauma having a an assisted vaginal birth. So forceps, vacuum, things like that. 62%. It gets worse. In this study, of those women who reported trauma, 80% reported trauma having an emergency cesarean section. 
80%. That is wild. These were shot like it's almost, it's like I know these things exist, but I was still shocked to find these things. I also found that of those who had a scheduled cesarean, 28% reported trauma. That's still one in three. It's insane. Okay, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I also found that uh, I looked at reported trauma inside models of care and public hospitals had the most reported trauma, so well over 40%. Private hospitals were second to that, just over 30%. And then birth centers were about roughly 28%, and which is interesting because we know we, we constantly talk about continuative care models, particularly midwifery-led models of care, and we, we don't address trauma in that particular model. We, we just say that it's low. But, I mean, in this study, it was pretty high. 28% is pretty high. Uh, interestingly, women who reported trauma having their first baby was higher. So that was actually about 56% as opposed to those who ha- who were having consecutive births. And that was about 38%. So still really high. Um, and remember, this is just in this particular study. Um, interestingly, 51% of those who reported trauma had a pregnancy complication now I looked, so I asked if people had a pregnancy complication, yes, no, but then I had like a text box if people wanted to put in what that pregnancy complication was. And let me just tell you, this was a really interesting finding and something I wasn't necessarily looking for. I just thought, Hey, you know, we, are we considering what happens in a woman's pregnancy to then, does that lead into her birth trauma? And I mean, I don't have the answers because I didn't necessarily ask that question. So there was this unexpected finding in a predictive risk factor, which is pregnancy complications. And my results indicated that half of women who reported their birth as traumatic had a serious pregnancy complication. Now, what women had said to me, hyperemesis gravidarum, gestational diabetes, and preeclampsia. Those three were the most common. And I think that this does suggest there is a relationship with wellness in pregnancy and subjective birth trauma. And there's actually only one study because I looked that includes pregnancy complications as a risk factor for subjective birth trauma. And, you know, particularly they looked at hyperemesis and the development of preeclampsia in pregnancy. And these women had higher birth-related post-traumatic stress, but no other study has explored this association which is really, really interesting. Again, we're not, te- we're not looking at the whole picture and there are so many factors that can contribute to a person's birth trauma. And this is, I guess, why we need to listen to women when they say, hey, my birth was traumatic, whether or not she meets a clinical diagnosis. Um, and when it came to gestational diabetes, I definitely was expecting that complication to come up because... I mean, since they changed the ratios, a lot more women are being diagnosed with gestational diabetes. And we know that if a woman has gestational diabetes, she is more likely to have higher intervention rates in her birth, which we know high intervention can cause trauma. So that was sort of that association there. Uh, I also asked, 
you know, do you want to talk about your birth experience or have you talked about your birth experience? 83% of women said yes. So I'm like, okay, that's really interesting. We're not offering birth debriefs at all, but we have over 80% of women wanting to talk about their birth experience with someone professional, not just like a loved one. So then I looked at my statistics on birth debriefs, right? 26% of women in the study had a birth debrief. 50% of these debriefs happened within the first three months postpartum. 64% didn't actually know what a debrief was. So right off the bat, these women don't even know that this is an opportunity for them if they struggled with their birth. And 35% actually had the opportunity to look through their birth medical records, which I actually thought that was quite a good number considering a lot of people don't know that they are actually able to do that. So then I looked at, okay, who had an in-hospital debriefing facilitator if they did have a birth debrief and who sort of went out of the hospital, you know, like a doula or a private midwife or a therapist or something like that, who was out of hospital. And it was just under 50% of those who had a debrief had an in-hospital facilitator. So just a generic midwife or obstetrician or something or a nurse even. And it was about 40% had an out-of-hospital debrief facilitator. So those were just sort of my really basic findings. And so then I, I looked further into whether or not a debrief helped with this reported trauma. So then I go a little bit deeper and I compared perceptions of birth, self-compassion levels and general mental well-being with those who reported trauma. So those who described their birth as traumatic and looked at whether or not they had a birth debrief and what their outcomes were on perceptions of birth, self-compassion and general mental well-being. And what was really interesting was that having a birth debrief was significantly associated with better perceptions of birth and were even helpful for improving perceptions of birth for women who did not report birth trauma. So I think these findings suggest that birth debriefs are not only a valuable intervention for this population, so this subclinical population, but also for women who had maybe a negative or difficult birth, but didn't necessarily describe it as traumatic, but even those who had a positive birth. And I think you can relate that back to the finding of over 80% of women wanted to talk about their birth experience with a professional. So women actually want to talk about their birth. They want to deconstruct what happened. They want to go through it. And it makes sense because it's just such a transformational experience, um, regardless of which way it goes. And so my findings propose that birth debriefs can enhance perceptions of birth for both groups. And I find that really interesting and also something I hadn't necessarily considered. Now, before you go, well, what what do you mean by perceptions of birth? I looked at the woman's perception of her delivery. So it asked questions like delivery was a lot worse than I expected. I felt safe during delivery. I was able to relax and then going into postpartum, it was asking questions about loneliness and guilt and whether or not they were proud, if things were pleasant, sort of around, around all of that. And what the original study for the childbirth perception scale actually found was that it was important to notice that the way women think they perform is an issue and, and healthcare providers 
should encourage and positively approach women during labor, even when, or especially when their different stages of labor are delayed. Um, I think, you know, we all have preconceived ideas about how birth is going to go for us. And maybe there's some fears and anxiety around that as well. And what I sort of keep coming back to in a lot of the research I'm reading is the role that your care provider plays. So I think this is just a slight detour from my research, but I think that that speaks volumes of who you have supporting you throughout your birth and you are actually allowed to have a say and you should feel comfortable and safe with the care providers that are assisting you. And if you're not, you can change it. And I know that's easier said than done once again, um, but just a little side note there. Now, just while I'm on the topic of perception, there's a lot of talk, particularly on social media at the moment, about how you perceive birth. And that's what sort of tells your brain is traumatic and it's victim blaming. So this is sort of the topic. And so a lot of people don't like the term perception used when we're talking about birth trauma. And I just want to say that perception is actually really important when it comes to trauma. And while sometimes we think using the term perception can sort of eliminate either responsibility to parties involved or passing blame onto the woman, I hope that we can understand what perception actually means when we're talking about birth trauma or trauma overall. Perception is referring to how your brain processes the events and this is why sometimes people can walk away from a birth experience with trauma and then another woman have the same experience but walk away with no trauma. Why would this be the case, right? So if we went through the same traumatic events, how can the trauma outcome be different? Your brain has to perceive the event as threatening and not able to process it. And, you know, we have a biological threat perception that we're mostly unaware of. And there are so many variables that go into perceived threat. Um, So this is just sort of one explanation, if I can offer one. Um, But perception is not the cause. It is simply associated with the trauma. So the way that you perceive birth is not to blame or not your fault or not the cause. Um, The cause was something outside of that. So it could be you know, that I mean, there's so many things now. It could be the fact that you had a forced birth. It could be the fact that you had an emergency cesarean. It could be the fact that you had a really unsupportive midwife. It could be the fact that you birthed alone and felt scared and out of control. You know, th- there's so many, so many factors in, in birth trauma and the cause of birth trauma. But the way that your brain could or couldn't process what had happened is the result of having traumatic symptoms or describing your birth as traumatic right so perception is a really helpful way in getting us to understand what about birth makes it traumatic and this is why we need to keep perception in mind because we need the voice of women to tell us and so perception is vital in trying to move forward and making birth better we actually need to start asking women about their birth experiences and what made them traumatic and then turning that around in trauma-informed care, for example. Moving on, yes, I did look at general mental well-being, but my results were a little inconsistent here, and that could be a slight limitation on my behalf where I had 
ethical considerations here. And so I couldn't just use whatever scale I wanted. So potentially this was just the wrong well-being scale to use. And so I didn't really get great results there. And then in terms of self-compassion levels, what I found was that low self-compassion levels for those who had subjective birth trauma compared to those who did not have trauma was of, of significance here. So you know, due, the, due to the design of my study, I can't imply that the causality of the low self-compassion levels for those who had birth trauma was because of the trauma itself. I can just see that there is simply an association with self-compassion levels and subjective birth trauma. So there's a correlation. It's not causation, if that helps you try and understand. Um, but it's definitely something that I think future research should include uh, in their interventions. And the reason I decided to go down the path of self-compassion was because prior research shows women who have traumatic births experience things like guilt and self-blame, which hinders self-compassion. So there's definitely association there and it's definitely worth exploring. And I think I'll leave that to future research for now. So as I said before, I found that over 80% of women wanted to talk about their birth experience with someone. And almost half of the women in my study didn't actually know what a birth debrief was or know that that was something available to them. So maybe more women would be having birth debriefs if they were given the opportunity. And prior research confirms, you know, most women accept this opportunity when it's offered to them. So I think birth debriefing only being offered prior to high-risk women is definitely neglectful of including all women and giving all women those equal opportunities in birth or birth trauma. And because I share birth stories, I thought I would include a question asking whether or not um, my t- my participants had written down their birth stories. And almost 80% had either written down their birth story or they wanted to, which I think demonstrates that writing interventions may be as helpful as the alternative traditional birth debriefing. And there has been past research um, talking about writing interventions, particularly for those with PTSD. So again, those who have subclinical birth trauma, it also showed that it could be effective. And so basically I'm sort of like, we shouldn't be hindering opportunities for women to construct a birth narrative of their own based solely on clinical assessments of trauma. And we should be looking at all levels of trauma clinical, subclinical, and even now, interestingly, women who didn't have birth trauma, they may even benefit from having a birth debrief. And we we saw that with the perceptions of birth. So I definitely think that we should be considering different styles of birth debriefing. It doesn't always have to be that traditional sense, but I thought that that was interesting. I also wanted to have a look at out-of-hospital debriefing facilitators compared to in-hospital debriefing facilitators and whether or not they had a more personal therapeutic approach than one another. And, you know, out-of-hospital debriefing facilitators were therapists, doulas, birth workers, private midwives, any sort of like health professional Um, that offers birth debriefs and in hospital debriefing facilitators were, you know, like the public midwife, the obstetrician, maybe a nurse, things like that. And what I found when I looked at the debriefing facilitator, the quality and the approach of the debriefing facilitator did actually matter. And a lot of my participants um, reported 
greater results in emotional validation and satisfaction with out-of-hospital debriefing facilitators. So the doulas, the private midwives, that sort of thing, which makes sense because there is that element of continuity of care there. So maybe they feel more safe and comfortable, understood, seen, heard, all of those things. Um, But I also think that potentially those people, particularly people like therapists and doulas and things, have brushed up on interpersonal skills and counseling skills and so then maybe there's no preconceived idea about them or their birth there's no judgment there's empathy there's compassion and it's a woman-led discussion rather than a care provider-led discussion i looked at a few other little things but ultimately that pretty much sums up my research and you know i just I'm really passionate about childbirth because it is this really profound experience, regardless of which way it goes for you. I've spoken to mothers on this podcast about loss and how that has impacted them, how they were treated impacts them. You know, it, birth is interesting because it, it there is the birth itself, but then it also becomes so much more. It also becomes the things that are attached to birth. So what happens in postpartum, what happens in pregnancy, things like that. And I just think we shouldn't be limiting trauma in this sense to you know predict uh, standard predictors and risk factors but we should be allowing women's own perceptions of their birth experience or their pregnancy experience or their postpartum experience and i think my findings contribute to the growing body of research relating to subjective birth trauma but i actually really believe that we shouldn't be neglecting women who have this sub subclinical birth trauma and again to sort of reiterate Birth debriefings are such a great tool for women and there are therapeutic outcomes to debriefing. I've seen it myself in my own personal life, but also just the women that I talk to through the power of birth and allowing, you know, a platform for women to share their stories and what that does for them. And I really resist this notion that women who have traumatic birth experiences uh, shouldn't be sharing them. I think that's actually really dangerous and a lot of the time when we are sharing experiences and sharing perspectives, that's actually how we learn and we do better. So if we're eliminating that side of birth that appears to be traumatic and those stories that that have that were traumatic, we're actually missing a whole part of birth that we're that's going to go continue to go unrecognized and unacknowledged and under researched, and there are consequences for doing that. Before I go, I do want to mention the Australasian Birth Trauma Association. So if you are struggling with your birth experience, if you do have symptoms of post-traumatic stress, if you feel like you failed, if you feel alone, if you feel guilty, if you feel angry or frustrated, if you have a birth injury, if you just struggle to understand what went wrong and why things happened the way that they did. I want you to know that there is support out there. The Australasian Birth Trauma Association has peer-to-peer support groups and they are really amazing. They are doing wonderful work in this space. Amy Dawes, the founder, is a survivor of birth trauma herself, physical and psychological, and She's worked really hard to create a space where people can come together and heal together. And she's all about better births, safer births, better healing. 
And I completely agree with her. We really need that. And thanks for being here. Thanks for coming along with the ride. I hope that didn't bore you too much. I tried to break it down as much as I could. That wasn't too sciencey. But it's exciting to share this with you. And please, please, if you need support, seek that support. Get help. You can be better. You will be better. You're not alone. It's definitely not your fault. And I truly believe in peer support. I'm all about it. There's tons of research to show how effective it is. It's even more effective than just general therapy in some cases. So I'm all about the community. And, you know, as mums, we need the village. We really do. And we so deserve that. So find your people, find your group, find that support that you so need and so deserve. And I'll leave all of the details and things in the show notes so that you can check it out. But thanks for being here. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.